Good morning. I'm comforted by an orange jersey. Thank you. Uh, there's many enemies out in the crowd today for us cowboy fans. Uh, thank you for coming today, choosing to worship with us. Um, my name is Lynn Taylor, campus pastor, and thank you for uh, those who serve. I'm always amazed at the people who are willing to give of themselves. Talents, gifts, some of them are visible, some of them are not. I was thinking today, grateful for this team up here that leads us in worship, the gifts and the talents they have, even more so the heart they have, the leadership of Aaron and for uh, the ability he has to, to mold into shape, uh, to mentor people, to be able to walk with people, um, worship. What a great opportunity we have every Sunday and to carry it with us every day because worship doesn't just happen here. Matter of fact, worship is more corporate when we come together like this if we're individually worshiping. It's the understanding that we're not the audience in here and they're the performers. Now, you're the performers and God is the audience in worship. When we understand that and our heart grabs hold of that, then our individual lives all week long take a different spin. And uh, that's our prayer as we uh, start talking about our series for today. The callings. We're not talking about what we do, our occupations, the vocation, our spiritual gifts as mentioned in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, not personality traits, not cool factor, not body type, not tall, not short. What we're doing is talking about callings, the way God designed you. Scripture teaches there's five that we can talk about, that we have been designed by. And let's be clear on a couple of things as we talk about this. One, be patient. Be patient with us as leadership as we talk about it, as we teach it. Be patient with each other as we discover, as we invest, trying to figure out what does that mean for us and who we are. It's the opportunity to pray for each other, to lift each other up. Because all five of these are important. Let me give two warnings here. One is all five are important. It's not about one or two that are visible and the rest need to be seated. No, all five are important. They all five have function in the church today. Not the, not the institutional church as much as the church, the people of God, the kingdom of God. And as we discover those five, our prayer is that we can discover more and more opportunities as leaders to allow you to use those gifts effectively, those callings on your life. Second warning, the Bible's very clear of thinking too highly of ourselves. The warning of not being puffed up or boastful 
in the calling we have. We're proud of that calling. I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. God told me to tell you something and you're not going to like it. You know, that, that, the boastfulness, whatever calling you have, it's not a, it's not a license to be a jerk. It's not a license to walk into somebody's life where you've not invested to them. Everything is to be done in love together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, which is also translated shepherd, and teachers. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow into every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual Part. This whole portion of this chapter is related to the unity of the body. And while he's talking about the need for the unity of the body, it's the diversity that makes it incredible. Because we're not alike. No one is alike. Because when we start talking about these five callings, the reason why they're not alike is because you start putting personality and gifts, environment, background, extrovert, introvert. All, you start putting all this stuff on top of the callings and we're all so different. We believe that God designed you exactly perfect and that God is giving you an innate contrast to life, and it's in these callings. And we're going to talk about the lie, but so many of us get lost, not in the discovery of it, but in the lie of it. We'll talk about that here in a minute. To not be boastful. Scripture is very clear that we are not to boast of ourselves. We boast in the Lord. That we don't point people to ourselves, we point people to the Lord, to God in this same process. So as we're discovering all this today, this is about what God is doing. Okay? This is yes. Everybody good? Okay. A few years ago, matter of fact, about 15, there was three guys 
living in East Tennessee. And they were putting together college ministry for what was happening in college in the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Several churches, several college ministers, and they were coming together to do some things on the college campus. 37,000 people come into college, like a lot of other large colleges. About 300 of them were involved in ministry on campus. And only about 30 were in the largest one on the campus. That was FCA. These guys were coming together and they were going to try to figure out how do we embolden the opportunities for ministry on this campus. Took several years. And with the invitation of the school, they were able to sit down, walk through, build a huge opportunity of ministry. Part of that was because the school was behind what was happening from the administrative side and there wasn't a high cost on a room they were using that was right in the center of campus, right near Neyland Stadium, right near the river. The opportunities were endless. They were in the papers. They were, in the, they were all over the place. And after a period of time, they opened up a church plant actually down in that area of which 500 students came for the first day of their church. What's amazing is about three years ago, there was a letter sent to these three. And in that letter was, or on that letter was a presidential seal, the president of the United States. There was a presidential seal. On that seal was embossed the seal of the president of the United States in shock. This guy calls me and says, you are not going to believe what just happened. I just got a letter from the president of the United States from the White House. I opened it up and in it, it has an invitation to come to the East Lawn in July of 2019. They're recognizing our achievements to the community. They're recognizing the opportunity that we've given to so many students. In the letter, it mentions an invitation to come and at your table, there's going to be several people at this table. There's going to be Jason Witten. Peyton Manning, Philip Fulmer, Lamar Alexander, and some others. He was so pumped about what was happening and the contribution that he felt recognized for. They call each other, these three. Did you get, yeah, yeah. 
I got it too. I didn't know if you got it. Yeah, I got it. They, they, they were talking it up. One of these guys calls me, I'm friends with. He calls me and he says, you are not going to believe what happened. Rewind to my story a second ago. The president of the, the seal, the recognition, I was noticed. And I said, well, um, have you told your wife? No, I'm going. I told her, well, I got something incredible to, to talk to her about. We're having lunch today. I said, okay. So we just kind of talked a little bit. He was boastful. <laughs> I was happy for him. Thought, you know, the incredible opportunity that is before him. He calls me back about 2.30. And he says, oh, man, you are not going to believe this. We looked at our calendar over lunch. Could we meet on this day in July? And we can't go. We have a dentist appointment. Let that sink in for just a minute. <laughs> okay, so the first part of that story was true. The second part of that story I totally made up. You were just preaching, Lynn, you know, no. I totally made it up. I apologize. I drug you out there. Did you feel the emotion that came with that? What? A dentist appointment. Are you kidding me? That's how an evangelist feels. When they present the gospel to someone and the next excuse is what? A chance to sit at the table of the creator of the world, to have a personal relationship with the savior of the world? And you have a dentist appointment? What? The opportunity is so much larger than the president or Jason Witten or whatever celebrity you can come up with the life changer that you will never meet anybody bigger than Jesus Christ. That's the way an evangelist feels when they present the gospel and people walk away. The excuses of day in and day out all the time. Think about the walking away on a daily basis. We're not, we have a personal relationship and we walk distance away. We start working our way back. We start, we start thinking it has to do with us. These evangelists that we're talking about today are people with influence. People that have it built in. The high people skill folks the apostle we've talked about, the prophet we've talked about today is the evangelist. 
The evangelist is a person like Philip in Scripture. Philip the deacon. We're going to be talking about Philip in our life groups, so we're not going to expound on that today. You'd be praying about the opportunity you have and the challenge of hearing about Philip when you go to your life groups. But um, there's another person in Scripture that we want to talk about today. And as we set this up, it's so hard to describe this person because there's other things involved in the evangelist in the design of what God is wanting to do with the evangelist because it is definitely to grow the church. But the influence there is something that gets pushed down because of the lie. So I'm going to be talking about both of those as we go. And that kind of is a, kind of a, mental, a mental picture in a gym. Let, let's, let's say we're in a gym. And there's 10 people kind of walking around, doing nothing, whatever. There's one person that runs over, grabs a ball. They grab a ball, they pick it up. They come over, they're bouncing it. They go, hey, who wants to play? Everybody wants to play. That's the influencer. If I walked over and I picked up the ball and I came over and I said, hey, who wants to play? My my two friends, that, that's it, because <laughs> I'm not the evangelist. Again, we're not talking about the cool factor. We're not talking about the occupation. We're not talking about all the other ancillary things that come with that. It's the innate ability to influence. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John Chapter 4, verse 25. Let me show you what I mean. There's a person in Scripture called, finally, the woman at the well. The woman at the well. Follow with me in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then, his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? When the woman left the water jar and went to town and told the people, Come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. So she said, and they did. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, you got to eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. 
Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we've heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. The ability to influence. Sin does not mar that. The ability to be able to influence people is not about a believer or not, technically. It's about a design that God made you to be. It's those who don't use it for good or for the growth of the kingdom like God designed. It's for the people that don't use it for that that cause all kinds of problems. Uh, Justin talked about it a couple weeks ago. We're our worst self when we're not following the Lord. That our ability to do what I'm talking about today is our worst self without the Lord. The function of an evangelist is to gather and recruit. Their strength is they grow, they throw parties, recruit and market ideas. They have an innate ability to get a crowd. They bring the good news. They bring people to Jesus. The communicator of the gospel builds relationships easily, called to bring and to build and to grow the message of Christ. They lead best in a team environment. An evangelist leads best by being a team player. To foster the ideas of loyalty because they're loyal people. They motivate the team to invite others, to be welcoming, to be open, highly relational, reaches out to non-believers easily. They can't help but tell the story. It's easy to make new acquaintances for them. They gather a crowd without even trying. You talk constantly about what or who you're fascinated with. The sweet spot for an evangelist is to just pick up and go with it. You have an undeniable value for the lost. Often a large network of people, both personal and professional. They rally people to causes they believe in. The includer, the welcoming committee. These are high people skill folks and they don't even have to try it just happens 
The blind spots for them can be they neglect believers. They have too many friends. They're a mile wide and an inch deep, if not growing. They forget the insiders. Their follow-through is low. They don't develop people very well. In this scripture we just read, the disciples are following her out and Jesus points out something. Now, Jacob's well is on a high spot. I don't know if any of you have been there or not, but it's on, it's on a hill. That's why it's so deep. And on that hill, that Jacob's well, you can look out over the valley, over the whole area. And Jesus points to the disciples and says, look at the fields, they're ready for harvest. And over those fields are people. The evangelists are gathering them together. And he's pointing out to the disciples that you are, you're celebrating something that's already happened. You're not the laborer of somebody else has gathered them. And you are sharing a message that you have not labored for and receiving the blessing. The evangelists have gathered the people. She built the crowd. As he points over, many, many Samaritans are coming to know the Lord because of this woman. They have, a, they have an ability, an evangelist has an ability um, to gather and recruit. When I was a youth pastor 150 years ago, <laughs> no, in the early 90s, late 80s, which is almost 100 years ago, we planned a revival, pretty good-sized church in Morristown, Tennessee, we plan a revival. Evangelists is coming to town. We get a packet. We read it. You know, I'd never been around a real big event like this. So I open up the pack. Youth, you know, we, we're in staff meeting. Pastor says, okay, that's you. You know, children, that's you. Everybody gets the packet. I open up the packet, look at it. I'm supposed to pick up this guy at the airport. His name's Ronnie. Ronnie is going to be my contact for the revival. And he's going to come in on Wednesday before the revival starts on Sunday. And I'm reading down through. His job is to get ready for youth night, which is Tuesday night. So I'm going, okay. Well, they don't believe in me, I guess. (laughs) So... Short story, I, I get up, I, I go to the airport, pick up Ronnie. We're driving back. And Ronnie goes, um, do, do you know what my job is? I go, um, I, I guess to talk to the youth. And he said, no. My job is to put 600 students in your gym at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night. You think we can do it? I go, what? <laughs> I felt pretty good about our 75. <laughs> we, 
we're going to put 600, that's your job? He goes, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm like, okay. Julie was there. I came home that night like, you're not going to believe this. There's this guy that thinks he's going to get 600 people in the gym. It's 6 o'clock on Tuesday night of, of student night at church. So Thursday, I pick him up. We go to the schools. He speaks. He goes around talking to people. He goes in at lunch on Friday, yada, yada. He does this whole thing. I'm starting to think on Tuesday, you know what? He is whipping up a hurricane. <laughs> and sure enough, at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night, we had 730 people in that gym, all students. They have the innate ability to draw a crowd. And he has no problem thinking through the idea that I can draw a crowd. And the revival person that came in, Jay Strack, Jay comes, many of you may know Jay. Jay comes in, he became a great friend of mine over time, but um, I didn't really know Jay then. Jay came into our uh, staff meeting on Monday and went through the whole thing with Ronnie. Ronnie was like overconfident, I thought. 730 people were in that gym. And he was pumped. Jay shared the gospel that night. A hundred students came to know the Lord that night. We baptized about 27 of them. And other churches around in the area did the very same thing. The evangelist. Building a crowd. Gather and recruit. What an incredible influencer God has made them to be. This is the picture of the intent of the function of the evangelist walking faithfully before Jesus, understanding that there is an enemy trying to keep you from using it. An enemy trying to lie to you. And the hard thing here is we buy the lie. We believe the lie before we believe the truth. And I want to talk about that a little bit because it cripples us. The father of all lies, his tricks are not new. They're old. But they keep working. They cripple us from contributing to the call that God has put on us for the kingdom of God and what he intended your call to be. So let's flip over to the other side of this scripture in, in John Chapter 4, verses 1 through 24, and I'm going to paraphrase. The Pharisees had heard about this man, Jesus, going around, baptizing people, teaching them. And he had continued to keep moving, decided to go into Samaria, went into Samaria to a city called Sakar, and owned the property of Jacob, which he had given to his son, Joseph, was a well, and that well was up on the hill that I talked about a while ago. When they got to the well, Jesus stayed at the well. The disciples kept going. They kept going to the city because they needed food. They were looking for food. While he was sitting there, a woman walked up to draw water. Jesus said, give me a drink. And she said, what? Why are you talking to me? The 
picture unfolds of what God was intending for this divine appointment. Because he uses the idea of water to talk about salvation to this woman. And he brings it up in verse 13. He says, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. In fact, the water I give him will become the well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And the woman says, please give me that water. And in the verses following that, it talks about the shame that this woman does not want to come out again to get the water. The custom of that day was the women would go early in the morning or late at night. They would usually go in groups of people because the water jar is heavy. Water is heavy. And they would, multiple people would carry it. She was by herself. The women of that day had shunned her, put her aside because of her sin. Jesus pointed out to her in these verses following this, uh, go call your husband, tell him to come. And she says, uh, I don't have a husband. He said, what you speak is right. Because what you speak of, you've had five husbands. And those five husbands you've left or they've left you. And the one you're with now is not even your husband. She was in shock. So he knows who I am and he's offering me eternal life. See, the sin is what blinds us from the truth. It's the sin that we hate. It's not the people. It's not the person. And Jesus is offering her eternal life using water to talk about it. She turns from that point and moves straight off to the city. And we picked up earlier what we read, that Jesus had the opportunity to bring many to God. The evangelist lie, fear. The fear that I'll be forgotten. This woman was ostracized, shunned from her sin. Promiscuity had messed up her entire reputation. She looked for love in all the wrong places, marrying five men. Threw parties for men, looking for love. And in fact, the very thing she was desiring was the reason she was left behind. They used her and discarded her. The women of the city couldn't help her. She continually made a bad name for herself. She should have never been in the relationship that she was there talking to Jesus at the well. In that day, men didn't talk to women in public, even their own wives, much less a promiscuous woman. Rabbis did not even talk to them. There were many, many reasons that this was a problem because it wasn't normal. It was bigger than normal. It was a divine appointment to an evangelist, 
to a Samaritan who Jews wouldn't even really like. If you know much about the New Testament, the Jews, uh, they were, when Jesus talked about taking the message to the, Jew, to the Samaritans and the Gentiles, what? No, this is us. No, Jesus wanted it to be for everyone. It was a divine appointment. Jesus shattered all cultural barriers that day. Her response to Jesus was, I'm putting my shame down. <clears throat> the offering of salvation was the illustration of the water that you will not thirst again. And she said, please give me that water that I would never thirst again. Meaning the shame I have, I don't want anymore. And I can lay it down with that water. It changed her life. The very persona that she had believed in with the lie now became truth. And she used it to get people to Jesus. You see, when insecure evangelists find themselves pushing away, they tend to push others away rather than recruit the design that God had for them and gather. They don't do it because of their neediness. And the sin so easily entangles us that not only are we buying the lie, it starts changing our behavior. And the evangelist gets tangled up in the lie. They forget what they're supposed to be doing. It's not about me, it's about God. I'm not pointing people to myself, I'm pointing people to God. In conclusion... Be who God designed you to be. Maybe that's what you need to hear tonight, today, this morning. Maybe it's what you need to hear. Jesus did not die for you to live in shame, ostracized by society, pushed away by people. He died that you might live and the truth of the gospel is that you can lay down the shame and you don't have to buy the lie. You don't have to believe it. Be who you are designed to be. Do not be beaten down anymore. Someone here today needs to hear that. I believe it with all my heart. I meet them all the time. You need to hear that Jesus can change your life. The old is gone and the new is here. We sang about it in the new wineskin. If you're here today and you say, that's me, I'm definitely an evangelist, but I have lost my way. I think I'm an evangelist but I have no idea how to do what that guy up there at the microphone's talking about. <laughs> Maybe you find yourself, I used to be that, and I started buying a lie back when, and it has compounded on itself, and I don't even know who I am anymore. Jesus wants to fix that. The opportunity for you today 
is to fix it, to lay it down, let Jesus be a part of your future. And finally, if you're here today and you say, that's not me, I'm not an evangelist. (laughs) That's for certain, I'm not that. We have two that we've talked about and we still have two to come. But the role for you is to be the encourager to the the other four that you're not. That evangelist needs to know of their value to what God is doing around you. When you see God working in the evangelist life and that person, that influencer, the recruiter, the gatherer, when you see that, you have to tell them to be the edifier, the person who builds up the church. That creates the unity and spirit and purpose that we keep talking about because that's the truth. You you remind them of the truth and not the lie. The reason why we need to do that over and over again is to help our brothers and sisters not be crippled by the lies. That's true of all five. If you're not that, you know what the lie is and you need to encourage that person. That's our responsibility as believers. If you don't know about this Jesus that we're talking about, today's the day. You have the opportunity to come front to go to the sides and change your future. Jesus says, come as you are, not clean up. If you're thinking right now, I don't know this guy, but you know what? I better get my act together before I go down there, before I go over and start talking to somebody, before I set up lunch and start talking about burying my soul. I need to clean up. The lie. You come as you are. There's going to be people on both sides that would love to pray with you about that. We also have prayer requests on both sides. If you have a prayer need, put it on a card, put it on the cross. We do pray for those. Our staff and our elders pray for those every every week, every Monday afternoon, about 1 o'clock. There's the Lord's Supper on both sides, communion. If you want to take the Lord's Supper personally or as a life group or as a family, as a couple, however you want to take the Lord's Supper today, to receive that, you can do that during this next song, our song of response. So as our, as our team's coming up here that leads us in worship, I want to be real clear about something. The people who are evangelists have this innate ability to draw a crowd, to gather and recruit. They come straight up against the evil more often in certain environments, more often than anybody else. Because they're, they're going against the grain. The grain is that Satan's trying to lie to you. And also, the people are not following. Because the lie becomes, I'll be forgotten. I want to challenge you to lay that down before the Lord and let him use you. That's a choice you have to make. We're here to help. 
We're here to pray with you. We're here to encourage. And whatever you want to talk about, we want to talk about it. We want to draw you closer to the Lord. And let God use your design the way he intended it to be.